So we are in the third week of our summer series, Uncomfortable. We've been wondering together about the challenges of living in Christian community. This week, we have before us a well-known, but not often preached on, set of verses from the Apostle Paul. Usually, this set of verses is paired in the lectionary with Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. And so, by preacher's choice, it often takes a backseat to the more understood and easily preached salt and light metaphors from Jesus. It's not like we don't know this section of Paul, however. We use this language a lot in the church of being the body of Christ, of being one body. In our baptism services, we say, as either Pastor Chad or I is pouring the water into the font, we say we are reborn children of God, and we are made members of the church, the body of Christ. We talk about the church being the body of Christ regularly. Maybe it's so baked into the fabric of our churchy language that we start to forget a little bit what it means. And so we find ourselves today in the middle of this series about uncomfortable Christian community, and we have before us this metaphor. You are the body of Christ. Now, it's easy to just take this right out of context and say we're like a body, one but many, many but one. And yes, that is part of the point here, and we will get there. But put into context of this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul is talking about giftedness and what it means that we are all gifted differently. We are all created differently. And it is precisely those differences that make us work. Many years ago, I looked back in my preaching texts, and I preached on this text to begin our very first Summer Voices series, a series we've done for a number of years over Wednesday evenings. I talked about how different voices matter. I talked about how the different ways we experience God, the different ways we each hear and see and feel God, give us a fuller picture of who God is and how God works in the world. And then the last time I preached this text, I remembered a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, unity is not the same as uniformity. And I think Paul understood this when he wrote this letter. He knew exactly what happens when you build a church and a community is created. We start making boundaries. I mean, it's natural. This is kind of how we operate as human beings. We, we create something and then we start putting boundaries around who is in and who is out, who is allowed to be a part of this place and who is not. We do this particularly when certain people make us uncomfortable because that's not what we came here for. We don't come to worship to feel uncomfortable. And Paul, to that group of people, says, you were all made so differently on purpose. You are all exactly who you are meant to be. No one is better than anyone else. You're all here. You are all loved. You are all a part of what makes this church a church. And then he says, and you know exactly how this works already because you have a body. And your body isn't all the same thing. 
Now I know those of you who've been around for a while may know this about me, that Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message is just not my favorite. It is not a Bible. It's a paraphrase. Lots of people pretend it's the same thing as the Bible. It's not. I have lots of issues with it. I have not been subtle about that at all in the times, even right now. But sometimes Eugene Peterson says what Paul says in a way that just makes it click differently. And so I'd like to use part of his message paraphrase this morning. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Paul's first letter to Corinthians this morning in this way. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you are still one body. It is exactly the same with Christ. By means of the Spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to call, independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which God has the final say in everything. Now each of us is now a part of this resurrection body. Refreshed and sustained at one fountain, the spirit where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger. Isn't that so great? It's the same, but it's different, right? And I read this from Eugene Peterson, and I say, get it, yes. You are a part of something larger and something more comprehensive than just you. And all those old labels, the ways you, not just the Corinthians, you, divide and decide who is in and out, they don't work here. And then it's like, it's like Paul knew it's like Paul knew that the second he says we're all a part of the body, all a part of one body, that people were going to start thinking, oh, that means I don't matter at all. Because they've lost who they are. They've lost their individuality. And to them, Paul says, again using Eugene Peterson, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If, if it was all ear, how could it smell? We see God carefully placed each part right where God wanted it. Paul, to those who might hear we are one and think that means they are less, Paul lifts them back up and says, you matter. And then again, because he totally gets it, and he totally gets who we are, because Paul knows that within the church, there are people who are going to say something like, well, if we're all a part of the same body, then I am definitely the brain, right? Or I'm definitely the heart, and they will fight over who gets to be the best, most important part of the body, and who has to be, you know, the grosser parts of our body. Like, who's the armpit, right? Let's just start there. Because this is what we do. This is what we do as people. We like to categorize ourselves. We like to put ourselves into higher orders. And to that group of people, Paul says, 
I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because what you are a part of. And I love the way Eugene Peterson says this part. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand would not be a body but a monster. (laughs) What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. And no part is important on its own. No part is important on its own. And I mean, sure, you are all awesome. But when you bring the awesome that is you into a community, yes, it is vulnerable and it is uncomfortable, but it is powerful. Because it's not about what part we are, but what we can do when we come together. Eugene Peterson ended this section by saying, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That is who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part does your part mean anything. I think that is such a beautiful reminder. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. Our society, our culture, our country in particular, lifts up the individual. This is what we are built on. Everybody pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps, right? Paul, God, the body of Christ, we envision something different in Christian community. Only by accepting your part of the whole does your part mean anything. We are not in the same new early church in Corinth that Paul was writing to. But we do have some of the same questions and concerns because we are human and this is what we do, right? Who is welcome? Who gets to be here? What if they believe something different than we do? I found a letter uh, a while ago. It's been saved actually in my, in my inbox for just this text, if it ever popped up. And, and here it showed up on this series. Dr. Paul Rimmer wrote a letter to King's College. He brought his son to chapel for their Father's Day service. And this is what he wrote. Dear Reverend Dr. Stephen Cherry. No, uh, no blacked out names in this letter. I would like to apologize for bringing my autistic son to Evensong at your chapel. I'm a resident of Cambridge and a member of the university, and my family and I have attended services at the chapel from time to time. I have always been inspired by the beauty of the building, the worshipful attitude of the service, and the hospitality you have extended to the wider community, as stated in your recent welcome letter, in which you expressed your hope that whenever and however you share in the life of the chapel, you will be inspired, encouraged, and refreshed. I'm proud to worship with a communion and a community that is asking the question, 
How can we enable people to be at the heart of our communities? All people to be at the heart of our community and to explore their vocation and realize their gifts. So I chose to attend Evensong on Trinity Sunday, also Father's Day, with my two sons, one of whom is autistic. Tristan is nine years old. He is a clever and joyful child who loves church buildings, services, and choral music. He's also nonverbal, and he expresses his excitement by calling out and laughing. His expressions are often loud and uncontainable, but it is a part of who he is, so there is no realistic way for him to be quiet. Many autistic people are like Tristan in this way. Right before the Kyrie, one of the ushers came and informed me that you had instructed them to remove us. I'm glad I heard some audible O's out there. Good. Tristan's expressions were apparently interfering with the enjoyment of some of the other visitors, which was very inconsiderate on our part because tourists come from all over the world to hear this service, the Even Song. The usher seemed embarrassed but insistent as he asked us to leave, though I'm not sure if it was because of my son's vocalizations or because of the nature of the directed directive you had given him. As a Christian, I believe that worship is primarily intended to glorify God and may have misinterpreted your even song as an actual worship service at which my son's expressions must be surely pleasing to God, the experience of other worshipers being secondary. Our removal makes sense, more sense, if King's College even song were simply a concert held in a building that it used to be a chapel then my son's expressions would frustrate the purpose of the event, which is primarily performative, lessening the satisfaction of tourists around the world who attend, but not those kinds of people you deem to be too distracting. If that is so, then I apologize. Might I suggest, then, that you place a sign at the front of your chapel, clearly identifying which categories of people are welcome and which are not. I can only imagine how terrible it would be if autistic people, others with disabilities, those with mental illness, people with dementia were all equally welcome to attend Evensong, how this would get in the way of the choir's performance, how it would distract the audience members, and how upsetting seeing those sorts of people at chapel would be for tourists who'd come such a long way. My son might not be able to talk, but he knows perfectly well what was going on around him. This is not the first time my family has been asked to leave church on account of his being too disruptive for other worshipers. This is, however, the first time we have been forced to leave by a member of the clergy. He isn't even 10, and he knows he's unwelcome. If only places like King's College made it clear what kind of spectators were acceptable, my son wouldn't be subjected to rejection and the other people there, to his unpalatable presence. He goes on to say um, how many people he forwarded the same letter to, which is awesome, <laughs> um, including the vice chancellor, the provost of the college, the bishop, bishop and archbishop, <laughs> the committee from Ministry of Deaf and Disabled People, <clears throat> and the president of King's College. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And neither can we. Paul knows that being in community with each other is hard. It is hard. It can be uncomfortable. It means growing and changing and learning and moving. And I don't mean moving as in like moving from here to there, though if somebody's sitting in your spot, then yeah, I mean moving, literally moving, to make room. It means opening up to people that we maybe haven't been open to before. It means being the kind of community that God has created us to be, not that we created ourselves to be. That is different. God created us to be radical in our welcome, not this lip service statement that is everywhere. We welcome everyone, all are welcome. You see it everywhere. But then we give an epic side eye at that loud kid or the new person who's sitting in our spot or that gay family that comes in with all their kids. It's important to take note here that Paul doesn't say all are welcome to be a part of the body. He says you are all members of the body which if we think about it is very different than saying all are welcome. It's so much more. It's so much more. It is saying everyone has a place here. Everyone has a role here. Everyone has a purpose here. It's more than welcome. But I'd argue that it is better. It's better to not just open up the doors, but to recognize that every single person, no matter what, has a place saved for them with something only they can do and bring and be in the church. You being here matters. When you're not here, it matters. And that starts right here at this table set before us this morning, where no one is worthy and everyone is welcome, where no one is left out and everyone has a place always, where there is always more room. At God's table, we always have a place to squish in one more person, always. We always scoot over and make more room. So we come here this morning to this table to learn and be reminded of who we are, that we are a part of this body of Christ. And that means we are loved, we matter, we are included, and we matter to God and to each other. It's at this table right here where there is always room for the best and worst among us. So we go on our way rejoicing, just like we just sang, and yet we go with an eye for those who maybe have been excluded, who've been told they are not welcome, who've been told they're too much, who've been told they're not enough. And we go from this place with an eye of who we can bring in with us. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord.